is what I'm going to talk about today. It's kind of a slippery slope that brings us into uh, what we see. How do you perceive, and that's what today's subject is going to be, how do you perceive God's government will be? It's something we need to talk about. It's something we need to think about as we walk into this darker period, if I can call it that, darker period of the year. And we look at what we see the past couple of weeks, past couple of months, actually the last 18 months, where you've seen two people throwing throwing stones at each other, even though they say they didn't uh, aren't. And now we come to a point right now where it's kind of tough or difficult not to look at what state this nation's brought itself into. We're going to talk to you now. How do you perceive God's government will be? It's, going to be? it's kind of been a difficult year to avoid politics, hasn't it? Especially the last couple of weeks. And you look at it from that point of view, and you think about what God wants us and how he wants us to think. That's what I'm going to cover today. Because there is certain things that we, as first fruits, need to be paying attention to and need to remember. You see the difference in this situation? Also, let me ask... How men choose a leader compared to how God chooses leaders. All meaningful relationships of what we're going to talk about today. title of the sermon is this. Was man meant to rule over man? Was man meant themselves to rule over man? Yes. With this, I'm going to cover seven seven different points today as we begin to speak. Okay, point number one. Does Christ first, first question we need to ask ourselves, does Christ believe in government? Obviously, that would be the first thing. We want to do his will, so we need to ask ourselves that point. Does Christ himself believe in government? Let's turn to Daniel. We pick up on that exact topic. Does Christ believe in government? Point number one. Daniel 7, beginning verse number 9. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was that was like that of the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Verse number 12, As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, in the night visions, and beheld one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Verse number 14 is major. And there was given him dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion in an everlasting, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed. Daniel was grieved in my spirit, in, in my spirit, in the midst of my body. And the visions of my head troubled me. And I came near unto one and them. And they stood by. And he asked him the truth of all this. So he told me. And he made me know, he made me know the interpretation of these things. Of the things. These great beasts which are four. Are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. And the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. And possess the kingdom of forever. Even forever and ever. Point number one. Does God... In this situation, does Christ believe in government? Well, yes, he does. God does believe in a government. There will be a government established in the world tomorrow. The difference is he shall be at the helm of that government. He shall be the one that we look for. And that's what we should be doing today as well. There's no difference. And that's where we actually direct ourselves different from what we see going around society or what we see different from the world today around us. Revelation 11. 
book of Revelation 11. It is God's design in this situation to establish a government with his saints. That is your ambition and that is your obligation at this point to make yourself ready. Revelation 11 and verse number 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Just reiterating what we already heard. In this situation, that's what takes place, and that's what we're working toward. Are you working towards yourself, overcoming these things of the world? Major question to ask yourself, because someday our ambition is to be leaders, to set forth that example. You look at how the world is choosing their leaders now, by a popular vote or by electoral, however you want to word it. Does it really matter? How do they view their leaders? How do these individuals get to the situation where we come before, they come before the nations and they're elected to this position? This is what we see what God will do. There's a difference. We're going to talk about today. Not just God will reign, but he's going to allow his saints to reign with him. Something you need to understand. Can you imagine the situation here? Can you imagine today's society, what we see around us, falling into Christ's subjection? This society, we know it today, will come to an end upon his return. It will happen. The point of view, what we need to do is we need to be preparing to actually be part of it. Are you preparing in the situation for that form of government to take place? What separates us from many others? Revelation 2. Revelation 2, and verse number 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works, he that overcometh and keepeth my works, unto the end, to him will I give the power over the nations. What's our ambition, brethren? And he shall rule with them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of a potter, and they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Point number one, straightforward. The question is this. Does Christ believe in government? You bet he does. In this situation, straightforward. Are we attempting to overcome? Because he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. Not just hold maintains the faith, but also the works are involved. He is the one that actually will have an opportunity of reigning and serving with Christ in the latter days, in the world tomorrow. Is Christ interested in any form of government? Yes, he is. The answer is straightforward. His own. That's what the establishment is all about. So we need to look at it. This is a spiritual form of government. It's not physical. That's not what we're looking at today. That's what we need to be working toward. Our working with His Holy Spirit, allowing it to actually mold us. This is where our direction needs to be. Point number two. How does God view men ruling over men? Isn't that a pretty major deal? Because now you're dealing with physical application. You're dealing with physical individuals. How does he how does he view them ruling over each other? Let's turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 8. Let's begin in verse number 9. And there's a lot to be said here. You can read 1 through 1 through 8 and get a lot out of it. But let's begin in verse number 9. 1 Samuel 8 and verse number 9. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them. And show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people. And he asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of king that shall reign over you. 
He shall take your sons and your, and appoint them himself to himself, for himself, for his chariots, and for his be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And he will set them his set to his ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war and his instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks, to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed, that your vineyards and of for and your vineyards, and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and all be and ye shall be his servants. What's, what's the words Christ says to us here? And ye shall cry out in that day because, because of your king, which ye have chosen, shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. What's the viewpoint in this situation? Men ruling over men. What's God's viewpoint of it? Do we see any difference today, brethren? Take a look around you. Take a look at... I heard a statistic the other day I couldn't believe. Every day, working day, this go this government passes 171 laws a day. Think about that. Obviously, it might be weekends off. But how many laws can you actually pass before oppression takes place? Too much. I guess I read this statement and I ask yourself the point, how happy would we be if it was only one-tenth? Wouldn't we? Well, I would just be in joy if all they took was one-tenth. That's not the oppression that we're now under. You take a look at the society and take a look at other countries. And we live in one of the greater societies. It's kind of a scary concept. Should men rule over men? What did God say to us here? And what's he stating to us today in the latter days? What do we see? I see no difference. Turn to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17 and begin in verse number 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou shalt prosper, or possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shall thou set king over thee, and thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. That's major. This is a criteria which God's given now all of a sudden. He's going to choose what we're, what we're to look for. There's a lot to be said here. But he, but he shall not multiply horses to himself. He's not in it for himself, his own greed. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt. He's not tyrannical. To the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Staying with biblical principle. This is what's required. That his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Now what would happen today? Tell me why in Oregon alone what we see is somebody spent over a million dollars to get a seat, a house seat, for the state of Oregon. Think of why would these people do so much to all of a sudden step into a situation of power. 
What's their goal? What's their ambition? Has history changed? Question we need to ask ourselves. And it shall be when he sitteth upon his throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of his law in that book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and keep all the words of the law and his these statutes to do them. You ask a stupid question. What would happen today if somebody came on the scene, became politically motivated, and actually turned to God? Would it be possible? We have such a society today that we're so astute in Babylonianism. Would we reject it? We would. You know, a major part of that is what we've seen today. Over 50% of the nation went liberal instead of conservative. We didn't take part of that. But you think about it. You think of yourself as a minority at this juncture? You walk into the state of Oregon, we had this law about homosexuality, teaching homosexuality in schools. And it went down. That means they can teach homosexuality in schools. What type of society do we live in today? And we're one of the better societies. We're not totalitarian, are we? Maybe we just don't realize it yet. But what type of society would it be if our leaders turned to the Bible for answers? A little different. You think about the world tomorrow. You think about what we're going to be doing you think about how much it's going to take to re, to allow these individuals to re have having to redirect or rethink their thoughts. That's what we need to be focused on right now. Verse twenty: That his heart not be lifted up above his brethren, not seeking power, brethren, but to serve. What is a leader in that situation? And that he turn not aside from the commandment, to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children. In the midst of Israel, what type of world would it be if our rulers turned to God for answers? A little different. Is that what we see? Obviously not. Take a look at what it also says. But notice here, he continually refers the king will not do these things. Take advantage in this situation and multiply his horses. He won't be looking for gold and silver. He won't be looking to elevate himself above other brethren. Is that what we see today? With what we see with politicians? Why would you do it? Why would you want that position? Not Obviously, you can't blanket everybody, but you find very few people just wants to serve. There's a difference, what we see today. The difference between how God chooses and how man chooses. Continually, what's God's view in the situation of men ruling over men, other men? It doesn't paint a very good picture if you read this. This is what he says. This is what they'll do to you. This is what they'll require from you. Was he right? Just in a bigger scope today. Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. Chapter 9. We begin in verse number 30. Nehemiah 9 and verse 30. Yet many years did thou forbear them, and testify and testifiest against them by the Spirit and the prophets. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou unto them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, for thy great mercies sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. 
Now therefore, O, o God, the great and mighty and the terrible God, who keepest the covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee, that that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people, since the time of the king of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, and we have done wickedly. Contrast between what we serve, what God is actually, and what, how we actually are as human beings, physical. Neither have our kings, or our princes, or our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in thy large and fat land, and thou gavest before them. Neither turn thy way that thy they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers, to eat the fruit thereof, and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it, and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us, because of our sins also, they that have dominion over our bodies, and over our cattle, and over the pleasure, over their pleasure, at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. A ruler that wishes to serve God. Is it found? What's the difference between what we see today and what we actually are reading here? Not much. As I said, my difference, I see, I'd like to see it. The, the government, if you want to put it that way, stop it just taking 10%. How does God view the difference? Is man meant to rule over other men? What do they do? Anytime they can get advantage, they're going to get advantage. That's the difference between what we see here. You're merciful. You've been merciful. Yet you set a king above us and look what they will do. You set a ruler, somebody in power. Men's character in this situation does not manifest men ruling over other men. It's not the way it was supposed to be. <clears throat> when leaders focused on God, the people rejoiced, didn't they? And they profited. That brings us a segue, if I can put it that way, into point number three. God dealt differently with the nation when a righteous leaders were in charge. Somebody at least given a pretense of righteousness. It's a little different deal. <clears throat> this is a lesson, a situation there for the people who are in charge. If they read the Bible, if they understood that, they'd understand what's being stated. Let me ask it in a different fashion. When we see abortion, we see homosexuality, if we can word it that way. How many churches in this situation still speak against these things? Kind of a scary concept to begin. Abortion, homosexuality, you see unjust decisions within our court system. You believe in the situation God is pleased? Question we need to ask. This is a society we live in today. It's what we see. Let's turn to Proverbs 29. God dealt differently when righteous leaders were in positions of authority and unrighteous leaders. Proverbs 29. Verse number two, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. It's right there, straightforward. What is it telling us? What's the problem today? Try to find a righteous leader. Try to find somebody that's adhering to anything that God's principles. Try to find anybody in the situation that's actually not trying to, if I can use the word term, politicize their position. 
where they want to actually do constituents on both sides. They want to reap the most as they can just for the political vote. How many people are willing to stand up against homosexuality in the political realm today? Very few. Is there a difference? You bet. People rejoice. What happens when you allow immorality into the, into the society which we see today? We've seen it. We've seen a lot of it take place recently. 1 Kings 15. Righteous leaders in charge. God deals with the, with the country differently when they are. 1 Kings 15. Let's discuss some of them. <clears throat> Individuals. 1 Kings 15 and verse number 11. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. You ask yourself the question here. If you, this book was being written about you, what would God allow being writ, wrote about you? Did you do what's right before God? It's a major question. And he took away the Sodomites out of the land, and he removed all the idols that his father had made. What a transition took place during this period of time. Then also Micah, his mother, even her he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in the grove. And Asa destroyed her idol, and he burnt, the, he burnt it by the brook of Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. And he brought in things which his father had dedicated, and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. And keep reading. What type of relationship did this king have, and what took place during his reign? Then we need to pay attention to. Think it's any different today? Yeah. I can't help but make the statement here. What would happen today if somebody stood up and said, this is pagan, we can't do it, in today's society in the political realm? Would that destroy the future? You bet it would. You think about the difference, and that's really what I'm conversing with today. The difference is how we need to think and how the society around us thinks. So we're covering. Was man meant to be ahead of other men? That's not what was set up. God spoke to the prophets, and the prophets told them what to do. What happens when they rebel? This is what's going to take place. This is what you're going to dig for yourself, and don't come to me when you have a problem with it. 1 Kings 22. Obviously, I was paraphrasing, but pretty straightforward. 1 Kings 22, and verse number 41. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judith. Judah, in the fourth year of Abed, king of Israel. Verse 43, And he walked in all the ways of Asa's father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered the burnt incense, yet in the high places. Why does it keep bringing this up? What would happen in a situation if a righteous leader just came in and just removed some of the paganism? Are they going to get resistance in today's society? Think about what took place here. Even then, he could, they couldn't get total adherence. Or they didn't. He didn't in the situation. Verse 46. And the remnant of the Sodomites which remained in the land of his father, Asa, he took out of the land. Can you imagine if every politician came in and just removed something? How much better of a world it would be? There's 171 laws a day that are being passed. For what? You think it's for the good? 
I get nervous when I see the underlining tone of what's actually what it's all about. Someday, hopefully, we get a chance to see that. Is it possible in this situation just to remove a little bit of sin? Not the time period we live in, brethren. Do we really comprehend in this situation? Do it in a different sense. Do we honestly comprehend how great it will be when the seventh trumpet sounds and our Lord and Savior comes back, sets his kingdom straight, how much transition we're going to have to do in this world? You think one politician today could stand up and say, hey, we're not going to do abortion anymore. And where are they going to go? In this situation, what do they do? They went to the hills still, the upper places. You have a program here. What are they going to do? They're going to go somewhere else, quote. But we don't advocate it. Doesn't it make a difference? How is it going to take, how much is it going to take for us to transition people's thinking in the world tomorrow? That's what we need to be doing today. We need to be transitioned. We don't accept it. We don't believe in it. We don't keep it. We don't condone it. I had this vocal argument with my sister, and my wife probably doesn't want me to bring this up, but we got in a vocal argument, and basically part of it was abortion. I, I take a strong stance on abortion. Very strong. No. Saw a bumper sticker the other day that we agreed very well with. It said, if it's, if it's not murder... It's not a baby or something of that nature. Something close like that. Oh, if it's not a baby, you're not pregnant. Excuse me. Same thing, right? If it's not a baby, you're not pregnant. That's right. Absolutely right. If you're saying that it's not alive, then you don't have a problem, do you? And we'll see it in about nine months. But you take a look at the situation, straightforward, how we've allowed ourselves to evolve, if I can word that, use that word, so we actually say, well, I understand sort of. No, we don't. We don't understand anything. We're taking it out of God's hands and we're putting it into our own hands. That's the problem. How does our mindset need to be? A little sin removed. Is it possible? Hezekiah said a great example in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18 and verse number 3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, and he broke the images, and cut down the groves, and he broke in pieces the bra brass and serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Neshutan. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. And he clave unto the, the Lord, and he departed not from following him, and he kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wheresoever he, he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. Total viewpoint. Is there a difference in the situation, brother? Review our past presidents and take a look at it. Do you see blessings that were given during certain periods of time, and do you see curses that were given? You can. People that tried doing a semblance of what was right before God. I'm not saying they were perfect, but you can sure tell the difference in leadership. It doesn't change from today in the situation. Look at our, well, a good statement, I guess, would be this. Look at our, compare our founding fathers versus the candidates which are right now fighting it out, saying, you did it, you did it. Throw another lawyer on it. Somebody had a good comment the other day. He said, there's more lawyers involved than there are ballots currently. Up for grabs. That's almost an embarrassment. 
where we're at. Have you seen the situation change from our forefathers to who we have to pick from now, today? There is a difference, and that's what this third point's all about. There is a difference between what God looks at and what man looks at. How do we sit with that? When a righteous leader is in charge in this situation, do the nations prosper? <clears throat> what happens when the opposite is in motion? Point number four. What happens when an unrighteous leader is in power? Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 and verse number 15. As a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over poor people. Over the poor people. Can you relate in the situation to this proverb? To this proverb? How many times in our life in this situation have we not seen a ruler do evil and act like they can't be touched? Or they have that proud look, the smirk? Point straightforward. Proverbs 29 and verse 2. We read the first part, but there's two sides to this proverb. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. You know, if I use just a couple of words, if I can use ter terminology here, let's just state the words Monica Lewinsky. What comes to mind? What an insult to the great nation, quote, if you want to word it that way, we live in. When somebody as a leader can walk in and have an adulterous affair and people just bypass it as not taking place, or they don't hold them, quote, against it, hold any uh, animosity against it. Let me use one word. Break it down in a different sense. If I use the word Waco, what does that have for you? What does that do? Think about some things that are taking place and what the society we live in today, how easy it is to cover up sin, murder, adultery. This is not the way God had it formatted. When a wicked ruler is in power, what takes place? Let's turn to Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such were, as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the other side of their oppressors, there was, there was power, but they had no comforter. In this situation, ask yourself, when a tax law is passed, where's the comfort? When your gas bill goes up another five cents a gallon every time you fill up. Oppressor. When an unjust ruling is handed down because somebody had the right defense team. Who's going to comfort you in that situation? What's the oppressor? Ask yourself the point coming, what we see today in society, I would say very much strong in the 90s, when two companies merge and you're paying the higher price for it. Is that a sin before God? Who's our comforter? What's the difference? When the wicked's in charge, it takes a major takes a major difference. Where are we going to receive comfort? Ecclesiastes 8, verse number 9. As this I have seen and applied my heart into every work that is done under the sun, there is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone in a place of the holy and had and and were forgotten in the city where they where they had so done. This is also vanity, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them that do evil. 
Though the sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I will, I will, that in that it shall be with them that fear the God, that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall be, it shall not be well with thee, with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days, which, ha which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. He continually reading. Vanity. How will Satan in this situation break down morality concerning God's people? How do you take it? How have we allowed it to fog our thinking or control our mind? If we can word it in that fashion. You pick up an article, are you vexed? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. We view in the situation, we viewed kings in the past that have gone awry. How about in the future? Let's turn to Isaiah. We viewed in the past, but how about in the future? What we even see coming to us. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, verse number 4. That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. Verse number 5, chapter 14. And the Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. And he who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke... He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted, and none hindereth. Verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said into the, in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, above his angels. And I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Ask yourself the question here. Think about the time when Babylon will fall. Think about what's going to take place here. When what we see today, and where they draw their power from, will come to an end. When all this will take shape the way it should take shape. I did this sermon today for timeliness. What do we live in? What type of society do we live in today? And you have two individuals now that are claiming right to something for what? Is it respectful? Are they doing it in the right fashion? You know, we don't know the outcome. We might not know it for months. So this tape might be very timely for the people even in the outside areas. Kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Take a look at the difference between how we view and how God views. Take a look at the difference between what happens when a ruler that actually is trying to portray righteousness and an unrighteous ruler is in charge. And ask yourself the question again. Was man meant to be there over other men? This is the difference in transition of what we're going to see in the world tomorrow. Something we need to think about. Now, we understand the situation. If it's a righteous leader, they're going to follow biblical principle. They're going to do what's right. What happens with the other side of the fence when they're an unrighteous leader? Who do the evil leaders serve? Point number five. Satan has been given the power and influence to influence the kingdoms of this world. We understand the power. So whenever we see it, do we identify it for that exact point? Genesis 10. This began years ago. Genesis 10, and you know it's amazing when you actually study this. You think about this, this is only four generations off of Noah. 
Genesis 10 and verse number 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be the mighty one, a mighty one in the earth. A mighty one. They're what they're saying here is in place of God. This is idolatry of first form. It wasn't very long before there was a boat where all these individuals were wiped out. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter, before the Lord. Before the Lord meaning in place. That's what was deemed taken place. He demanded himself to be placed in place of the Lord. Interesting conversation piece. Nimrod has all the qualities in this situation Satan was looking for. He was boastful. He was greedy. He wished to take the sight away from God onto other things. Fulfill the pleasures of what the people, his constituents, if you want to put it that way, wanted. You see that different from today's society? Do we not put people in power because they're going to support what we want? Quote. You take a look at what we just did as a, as a nation, how we were divided, and how the majority went liberal, not conservative. About how we're living today. Today our leaders in this situation serve modern-day Babylon. That's what they serve. They serve what these constituents, or the people around this environment, want them, want them to portray. Or they wouldn't be their quote, right? Ask yourself the secondary effect. How's it going to take, how much influence is it going to take in this situation for us to change their way of thinking? That's what your ambition is going to be. Going back to, is there a form of government that God's going to allow? His. And our ambition is actually to be servants within that form of government. It is a perfect society in this situation to cultivate what Satan wants. People not knowing God's truth? It's Babylonian. Babylonianism. He wishes them to live in confusion. Actually, we understand what Babylon means. The word itself meaning confusion. A society where changing one day in this situation could add a confusion of costing even people that knew better eternal life. Changing back just one thought. James said you offended just one point. What happens? You're guilty of all. Think of it. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not an author or the author of confusion. An author of confusion. The difference of what we live in today and what we see. Turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 and verse number 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. For he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come the salvation and the strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan the devil has the power to influence the entire world. It says it here. Direct it. We understand what society we live in today. Revelation 18. Where they draw their power from. Several verses we can come to. Where do they draw their power? Verse, Revelation 18 and verse number 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen and is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage, and every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants, merchants of the earth are waxed rich, through the abundance of her delicacies. 
And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye may be partakers, uh, ye may not be partakers of her sins, and that ye shall receive <clears throat> not of her plagues. And her sins have, have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. A land full of confusion today is what we live in. We need to recognize it. We need to understand it. Ask yourself in this situation, if a righteous leader came on the scene today and tried to change any of it, what would take place? Our mindset and our concepts need to be a little different from what we see in today's society. And that's what it's all about. Revelation 20 and verse 2. Where they draw their power. Revelation 20 and verse 2. And he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. And he bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. And he shut him up. And he set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, that he be loosed a little season. Can you imagine a situation where this evil will not be able to draw its power? He won't be under the influence of Satan the devil. What a transition. What do we need to be looking for? It's not going to come in the physical for us, brethren. It's going to come in the spiritual. We need to spiritually gear ourselves forward what we see today and what we're actually looking at. Our ambition is do what is right so we can be found worthy to actually, when Christ returns, we can be part of that kingdom he assembles. That's what this is all about. Straightforward. Galatians 1. You know, at the feast, we made the statements, we go into a darker period. We are in a darker period now because we, we have to wait for God's plan of salvation to start again. But in this situation here, think about... <clears throat> how he's going to approach you and attack you. I, there's more pagan holidays in this next spectrum of a couple days, or a couple months, than we know to do it. Starting from October 31st, if you want to put it that way, or November 1st, however you want to word it. Lots to be said. Lots of influence. Galatians 1 and verse 3. Grace be unto you the peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... For our sins, that we might he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. That he might deliver us from this evil world we're now a part of. That's what this is all about. Pray about it. <clears throat> you know, in the situation, ask yourself the question, I guess, have you been blessed for keeping God's word? Do you see things that your neighbors don't see? Different society. John 17. John 17. Think about how the transition is going to take place when Christ returns. John 17 and verse number 15. I pray not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keepest them from the evil. From the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them, sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for th these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. We do fall in there too, brethren. Opportunity knocks. We see in this situation what's around us. We're told not to be part of it. You see the difference between how God elects a leader, what he looks for, and what the society around us does? You know, it's kind of bad when you take a look at the two individuals and you see 
portrayals of their life. And I'm not trying to pick on them. I mean, anywhere you want. You could do it at the local level, whatever it might be. They're going to try to put the fresh facade forward. But as they do it, it's kind of amazing to me that we can watch the media, which how liberal they can be too, we can watch the media jump all over two individuals and say, well, look, this really isn't true. Is there a choice? Not much. Think about the time when God returns and he will set things straight. It's going to take a lot of changing what we see in the world today. Our premise is to overcome, not to be part of it. Point number six, we are to adhere to the magistrates and to set examples. We are to adhere to magistrates. Despite our constant thoughts, take a look at that. Romans 13. Think about what Christ told us to do. The situation what Paul states. Romans 13 and verse number 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be that be are ordained of God. He's the one that's going to allow these rulers to be placed in place. He's the one that's going to allow these things to take place. For whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then be not afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt uh, thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, he must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for consciousness' sake. For this is the cause, pay tribute ye also, in that they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, contribute to whom tribute is due, cust- tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. To be said, we are to adhere. <clears throat> you in the situation are to obey the laws of the land if they're not contradictory to what God has given you. It's not an optional. This is what's written in the Bible. Titus 3. Titus 3 and verse number 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and the love of our God, our, our Savior, toward men appeared. Ask yourself the situation here. Did not Christ obey? I mean, this is a situation where we need to look at. We're to be examples. We need to be the perfect, in this situation, example to our neighbors. Luke 20. Christ himself made a statement here we need to apply. Luke 20 and verse number 22. Is it it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? But he perceived, Christ perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny, whose image is is the subscription hath it. And they answered and said, Caesar's. We understand what took place here. And he said unto them, Render. Therefore, unto Caesar the things which are be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. 
He didn't say, don't render to Caesar. That's not what's being stated here. 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 and begin verse number 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that, that doeth well, that do well. For so it is the will of God that will <clears throat> that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You live the way you should be living. You set the example before others. Not in defiance, because we've seen situations take place where people throwing rocks. We don't get involved with that, brethren. We don't get involved with some of the things that we see in the society today. Because we understand what God put before us and how we should act before Him. Someday we have an opportunity of, hopefully, serving God in the world tomorrow. How will our attitudes change and develop then? 1 Peter 2, excuse me, 1 Timothy 2, verse number 1. I exhort, therefore, that the first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is the goodness and good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that man is Christ Jesus. Our desire is to live peaceably. It's not to actually exhort our own authority, our own mind concepts. It's not what it's all about. If it's contradictory to what God states, then we get involved. That's our ambition. It should be our ambition. This is what's acceptable. Point number seven. We shouldn't get involved with today's government on a national level. This isn't our ambition either. We don't. Jeremiah 50. Picking the pace up a little bit here. Just a couple more verses. Jeremiah 50. And verse number 1. The word that the Lord spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans and Jeremiah the, Jeremiah the prophet. Declare ye among the nations and publish and set up the standard. Publish and conceal. Not. not. Say Babylon is taken. Bel is confounded. Medirach is broken in pieces, and her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north there cometh a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell there, <coughs> therein. And they shall remove all that shall depart, both men and beast. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, and they shall end the children of Jude, Judah together, going and weeping. And they shall go, and they shall seek the Lord their God. And they shall ask the way of the Zion uh, with their faces thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep, and their shepherds have caused them to go astray, and, and they have turned them away on the mountains, on thy mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill, and they have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them, and their adversaries say, We offend not, because we have sinned against 
the Lord, because they have sinned against the Lord, and the habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and, and become as he goats before the flocks. For lo, I shall, write, I shall raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence she shall be taken, their arrows shall be, shall be out of the mighty expert men, none shall return in vain. And you read it and continue. Several different verses I need to cover in a short period of time. Jeremiah 5, verse 5 through 9. These kingdoms of this world, these days will fall. This will take place. We shouldn't get involved in today's government. These things will be turned and God will come back and set this place straight. Set this time straight. Isaiah 52, 10, verse 11. He tells us to depart and be clean. Depart and be clean from what we see in today's society. This rule, this world. And 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, we'll turn to. 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, and verse number 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for that what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing that I will receive you, and will, <coughs> and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Are we not preparing the situation? Are we not in perpetual motion to become the selected leaders of the world tomorrow? Is it not our ambition in this situation to put these things behind us? To understand what this means on a national level is nothing. Our ambition is to actually do a global unification, if we can word it that way, stating God at the helm. Not these physical things. These individuals are placed in these authority situations by God. We don't talk ill about them. We don't mock them. We can sure take a look at their activity and actions, though, and say, this is wrong. When a leader is in place that's actually righteous, we can tell the difference from one that was unrighteous. God places these people in places for his own, his own reasons. In summary, does God believe in government? Yes, he does. And he will be at the helm of that government. Is God's intention of man ruling over man? That wasn't of God. We asked for it. Men. That's the difference. We put it, dug, dug our own situation if we word it that way. What role does God play concerning a righteous leader versus an unrighteous leader? You can answer that yourself. What role does it play on you? Don't forget whose world it is in this situation at this present time. Don't forget how these men of power get their power. Don't forget how they, they dwell it and how they actually receive it and who actually is behind it. We have to live in this world with this government. We are to obey unless it goes contrary to what God states. We don't elect the leaders of this country. Thought before ending here, how great it will be when God returns and it won't be a man leading us any longer. Take a look at what we're doing here, brother. It's pretty easy to sit there and say, well, there's certain verses that were read today 
the relevancy of those verses, how do they actually affect my life? We don't decide who's in charge. That comes from God. To thwart that would say that he does not have the authority or control of what's going on in the world today. But we have been given the example of what takes place, of what we should do. If it goes contrary, or a leader goes contrary to what God teaches, then we should be vexed. We are in oppression. Where do we get our comfort? That's the point. Today, as we look and see what's taking place in the nation, how much different will it be, and that's really the point today, when God's in charge.